This morning we are continuing our series on transformed life. Um, so we are four weeks in, this is week number four. So I'm just going to pray before we start um, as, we, as we look at God's word together. Yeah, Father, thank you that you are here by your spirit. Thank you that you've been speaking to us already this morning just with even that picture that's come and what Steve was sharing just then, I almost feel like, you know, they've been reading my notes. But I know that you are the God over all things. You're the God who ordains things and you are with us now by your spirit. And I just pray, speak to our hearts, Lord. Help us to hear your voice. Help us to make decisions today which are different because we hear you, the God of all creation, the God, the mighty, living, awesome God who revealed yourself to us in Christ, that we know you, that we can be led by you and your spirit. And what a privilege it is, I pray, speak to us today. Amen. Wonderful. So, let me start by asking you this question. What does it mean to be alive? Anybody want to? Audience participation. What does it mean to be alive? What does it mean to you to be alive? Nothing. <laughs> okay? Well, maybe none of you are alive. But maybe let me give some suggestions. We know that you're breathing, so you must be alive. Maybe dancing, going out, clubbing. Not so many, I was going to say not so many younger people amongst us, but maybe you're, you like, still like going out dancing and um, doing that sort of thing. Maybe that brings you alive. Maybe jumping out of a plane. Anybody here jumped out of a plane? Wonderful, one person. Nicola, I would not have put you down as being the person who's jumped out of a plane. Did you enjoy it? Would you do it again? You would, wonderful. Eating a fine meal at a Michelin-starred restaurant. I know that makes some people here feel alive. And for me, it would be climbing to the top of Mount Kilimanjaro. I will feel alive if I got to the top of a great mountain like that. I don't know others of you here. It would be on a nice, quiet beach in the Caribbean. <laughs> but whatever it might be, the Bible shows us that there is something much greater. Something of much greater capacity to make us feel alive and to know that we are truly alive. And I know that you know what I'm going to say. But we can often look to external influences and, and things to help us feel alive. But the Bible teaches us that we are truly alive when, uh, that, that we know we're truly alive, and that comes from within. It's not what's on the outside but it's what's on the inside. It's our inner selves. But we can't see inside ourselves without help. 
And where do we go for help? We go to the Word of God. We go to the Bible. We look in the Word. And the Word helps us see what it is that makes us truly come alive. The Word is like this spiritual mirror that we look at and it helps us see what helps us come alive. It gives an accurate picture of who we are. I just realized in doing that, that's very similar to a, a new American president. He does that a lot when you watch him. So I better stop doing it with my fingers. We truly come alive <laughs> when the revelation of God's word becomes a reality in our lives. The word of God is the thing that we look to to help us know what we can't, what, how we come truly alive. So we're now going to look at the Word. We're now going to read the next bit of Ephesians, of looking at and help us to understand how we truly come alive. So if you want to read with me, it's Ephesians chapter 2, starting from verse 1 to 10. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins, in which you used to live, when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air. The spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our sinful nature. Wonderful. It's great to hear it as well coming from the audience. So we were gratifying the cravings of our sinful nature and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature objects of wrath, but because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace, God's goodness, completely from him and him alone, that you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. In order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace. Expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you have been saved. Through faith. And this is not from yourselves, it is the gift of God. Isn't that wonderful? It's all God. It's his gift. It's his grace through our stepping out in faith to trust in these promises. What a wonderful, wonderful truth. Not by works so that no one can boast. Nothing we do can earn our salvation. Nothing we can do can earn this wonderful truth that we are saved, that we have eternal life with God. Not by works, so that no one can boast. For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. What a wonderful passage! reminding us of some of the truths that I'm going to pack in a moment of what it means to be in 
Christ. To be saved by grace. Hallelujah. Isn't that great? From this passage that I've just read, we see a contrast between the first three verses, our old self, and verses 4 to 10, about our identity in Jesus. One of spiritual death, and one about being spiritually alive. There is the old me, which is pretty unattractive, but true, contrasted with the new me, which, where, which is where we've received this spiritual makeover, if you like, a new identity in Christ. So I'm just going to spend a few moments looking at the old me. And actually, this is, in some ways, I don't find this very easy because it's looking at all the stuff that reminds me of the things which aren't very good. The spiritual, unspiritual, if you like, old me is where I'm dead in transgressions and sin. Dead in the things that separate us from God, cut us off completely from God. We're dead. There's no spiritual heartbeat. The old me is completely spiritually dead because of sin and transgressions, things that go do wrong. Dead is dead. Dead means there's no life at all in that old person. As for you, you were dead in sin. The wages of sin is death, it says in Romans. It's a bleak picture for that old me. Sin completely messes everything up. And if we mess around with it, it messes us up as well. It's a horrible thing. Sin is horrid. It means death. Sorry to put it so bluntly, sin is awful. God hates it. And it's the reason that separates people from God. The old me is spiritually dead. The old me is also enslaved. The old me is unable and powerless to pursue God. It's driven by an anti-God culture that prevails. Anti-God. The old me is driven by the world. It's driven by the world. It says here, followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air. Okay, slave to sin is where you're following the ways of the world and the ways of the spirit of the air, the rule of the kingdom of the air, the devil. It's driven by that. And it's powerless. The old me is powerless to the influence that this has on me. It's powerless. My old me is enslaved to it. It is. It's what the word says. And finally, the old me 
is one that's condemned. It's condemned. It's under a black, a dark cloud of guilt. Gosh, that's not a pleasant place to be. All that's unholy, all that's destructive, all that's rebellious and self-seeking and full of pride is under judgment from a righteous, holy and perfect God. That is the picture of the old me. Horrid, isn't it? Doesn't it, just, doesn't it make you feel like really ugh inside? Because it's a horrid thing to think about and to talk about. Without Christ, we are spiritually dead. We're enslaved and condemned. But, but, and this is where we come to verse 4 to 10. You know, Paul, in his many letters, very clearly states that the sinful habits that we find very hard to shake off, they are not an integral part of who we are. They're not. They do not make up who we are. They don't need to define us. So let's have a look then at these following seven verses. The wonderful transformation that takes place when you commit and you give your life to following Jesus. It says in verse 4, God. Well, actually it says, but God. But the old me, that is no more. But God, he does something who is rich in mercy. God comes along. God comes along and he sends his son. He sends Jesus into this world of sin and transgression. He sends his son and his son comes along and he dies on the cross and he makes a new way. He makes the old me the new me. By believing in Jesus and following Jesus, I go from the old me to the new me. There's a complete transformation inside. I am no longer slave to sin, but slave to righteousness. I'm a slave to discovering and learning about the freedom that comes with knowing Christ, about knowing him as my saviour, my friend and my Lord. What a wonderful truth that we're going to look at more now. We'll never be able to find ourselves. I think one of the biggest lies at the moment is that, you know, you can find yourself. Read this book. Follow this program. Get as many followers on Twitter or Facebook. Then you'll find satisfaction. We'll never find inner peace through our own inner searchings through reading more books or the latest positive thinking techniques. We need to turn to someone outside of ourselves. And that person is Jesus. It's knowing Jesus that makes us alive. If we look at verse 5, the amplified version says, He gave us the very life of Christ himself. 
Only Christ has the power and strength to overcome sin and evil. We can't do it. It's a power that raised him from the dead. Jesus is alive. Jesus is alive. Isn't that wonderful? Jesus is alive. And it's the power that rose him to life is the power that works in you. It is. It works in you and it works in me. The whole of Romans 6, if we look at Romans 6, it tells us about that we're no longer bound by sin. We're no longer bound by it if you are in Christ. If you are a follower of Jesus, if you've made a decision to call Jesus your Lord, you are no longer bound by sin. We have the power to overcome it because of Christ Jesus. I've told bits of my testimony before about when I became a Christian. I was 14. At least I think that was when I was about 40. And I was, I was in a, a youth group at the time. In fact, I'd been going to church um, from being a lot younger than that. My parents used to send me and my brother off to church on a Sunday morning. So I, I knew about Christianity, but I wasn't a Christian. And um, I was in the youth group, and the youth group announced an event that was going on that I'd been invited to. So I went along to this event, and it was um, an interesting event, um, which I don't remember much about it. But I do remember at the end, a gentleman stood up, and he invited people to say a prayer to invite Jesus into their life. And I remember thinking, oh, that's a bit strange. I thought I was a Christian. But I thought, okay, I'll go along with it. That sounds like a good idea. So I remember we were all standing up and I prayed this prayer of faith. And I thought nothing of it even then. And then the guy said, right, will you come to the front if you just prayed that prayer? And it was like, oh, great, here we go, that's all I need. So I went to the front, and they, we, there was a general prayer. And I remember they took us into a back room, and I sat down with somebody and explained what I'd just done. And from that night, I can remember feeling so different going out of the building than when I walked in. For me... It was that radical a transformation. I know different people have different journeys with coming to faith. But for me, it was a radical transformation from knowing spiritual death to spiritual life, to being alive in Christ, to being alive for his purposes. For me, I felt like, even as a 14-year-old, I went from spiritual death to spiritual life. Do you know what it is to be spiritually alive in Christ? It was for me, my eyes have been opened to that truth of knowing Jesus as my Lord and Saviour for all eternity. Nobody could take that away. The Archbishop of Canterbury, he's been posting quite a lot recently, He's advertising a, um, a prayer week in the end of May. And he's wanting Christians to pray together for more people to come to know Christ. 
And he's posted even yesterday, um, talking about it more. But he really believes that something's going on in this nation. He believes that there's an awakening, a spiritual awakening, that he really wants to encourage us as Christians to pray into. Do you believe that? Do you believe there's something going on in this nation? I do. God's doing something here. He's calling us to pray. He's calling us to be people of faith. That where the foundation, where the core of who we are, the knowing Jesus, the living our lives for Jesus, is is what we live for. Is that what you live for? This is what the Archbishop said. There's a lot about this job that stops you getting too self-important. I remember being at an event and one of my colleagues heard someone in the crowd whisper, isn't that the Archbishop of Canterbury over there? And the person's friend hissed back, nah, too short. And this is what the Archbishop said. He said, when I meet Jesus Christ at the judgment, I know one thing. He isn't going to care about what size of Archbishop I was or think whether I was an Archbishop. What matters is that I loved him and sought to follow him. And above all, that I trusted in him alone for my life and my future. Because the most important thing I've ever done is to become a follower of Jesus. I took my first steps 42 years ago. And over those years, he's been a faithful friend, a sovereign Lord, compassionate, forgiving. In fact, everything in my life, the heart and foundation of all I am. Through the hardest and most painful times, in the best and most joyful times, Jesus has walked alongside me. He's never left me. Even when I've wanted him to, when I felt ready to give up hope, he picked me up and it's his love that's healed me and strengthened me. Following Jesus has been the core point of my life. Do you know Jesus like that? Have you invited Jesus into your heart to be this wonderful Lord, forgiving everything in your life as the Archbishop has? Now this wonderful passage in Ephesians also tells us not just that we're alive in Christ, but that we're seated with Christ. Verse 6 says, God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him. So what does this mean? It's a strange phrase, if you like. Does anyone here like flying? Wonderful. Yes, well, this will hopefully help you. If you don't like flying, this might not help so much. But flying, I love flying too, Michaela. It's something that I love flying because it takes me to lots of wonderful, exotic places. But when you fly on a plane, you're not actually flying the plane. It is the plane that is flying. You are seated on the plane. You are flying because you are seated on the plane that is flying. Sounds like one of those tongue twisters, isn't it? So spiritually speaking, we are seated with Christ in the heavenly realms. So spiritually speaking, we're seated, if you like, 3,000 feet in the air. 3,000? 3,000 would be quite low. You might take out a few buildings. 30,000 feet in the air. 
So what is the implication of this? What does it actually mean for you and me? If you like, spiritually, we are far above all things that can hinder and hold us back in our relationship with God and the knowledge of his love. We are far above all things that can hinder. So things that might try and hinder your relationship with God, being in Christ means that they no longer have power over you. It means that if you choose to put Christ at the center of those things, you will be far above. They will not, they have no power over you. They cannot touch you because you are in Christ. We are seated with him. The curse of sin and evil has been broken because of Christ's sacrifice on the cross. So we can enjoy all the fullness of what it means to be in Christ. We're no longer enslaved. We're no longer condemned. We're free to choose life rather than death. There was um, a conference a few weeks ago where Abby, um, Claire and Steve and myself, it was the New Ground Elders Conference. And there was a gentleman that was talking at these called John Lanferman, who is a New Frontiers guys, guy. He was, um, he's one of the leaders in New Frontiers USA. Um, so he was American, but we didn't hold that against him. I um, thought that might have got a few more laughs. Um, but one of his first talks um, that he talked about, he was asking this question. And interestingly, he was talking about us as leaders about identity. Something that we're obviously uh, doing as a church at the moment. And he asked this question, where do we find our identity? What is it that defines who you are? You know, who or what defines where you find your security? And he also described um, how Paul, and he did this very well, um, the talks are online as well, if you wanted to listen to them. So if you go on the New Ground website, you can see the talks that were shared at this conference. But um, John shared how, quite well how Paul, the writer of this letter of Ephesians, he was talking particularly about Corinthians, but how Paul, the Apostle Paul, is completely secure in his identity. Paul, the Apostle, does not look to others as the verdict of who he is. He looks to Christ. He knows what it means, because he wrote about it, what it means to be seated with Christ. The Apostle Paul knew what it meant to live with Christ, not just piloting the plane, but sitting right next to him. Do you know the reality of Jesus with you every moment of every day? How well do you know Jesus Christ steering your life this morning? You know, it's really humbling when Jesus puts a finger on an area of your life that you know that you've not given over to him. It's humbling because you need to come to Jesus and repent. And I don't think any of us find that very easy. I know I don't. But when we come to Christ when he puts a finger on something that we know he's asking us to give him. It's so freeing. I mean, even this week, there's something in my own life that I felt God say, 
that something that a fear that you've been living with most of your life. And I want you to give it up to me. I wasn't aware of it. And as I became aware of it, as I gave it to him, I found freedom. And I'm finding more freedom the more I walk from those fears. The more we walk from fears and insecurities and give them to Christ and surrender them to him, we find freedom to be all that we can be in God. That's what we want, isn't it? That's what we all want, to be free, to serve him, to walk in complete confidence in all that he's called us to. As I spoke truth over myself, of who I am in Christ, I found freedom. When we surrender our hearts to Jesus, we truly come alive. We do. We become all that God has called us to be. Every single person in this room is different. We are all unique. And God has called each one of us to something different. As we surrender to Christ, we find victories. And small victories become big victories. As we look back on our lives, we see, my word, look where God's brought me. As I've taken steps of faith, as I've trusted in the finished work of Christ on the cross. And finally, we've been made new in Christ. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says this, Anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone and a new life has begun. That's from the New Living. The English Standard Version says this, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. I like that. Behold, grand statement. The new has come for each and every one of you. So when God creates something, he does a good job. Take Genesis 1. The amount of times that we read in Genesis 1, he created and he was pleased and it was good. God creates perfectly. He's a perfect God. He creates perfectly. He doesn't mess up. And the same is with each of us. He's not messed up. Each one of us, he created perfectly. There is an original design for each one of us that I think he wants us to discover what that is. Do you know, are you learning more about who God's made you to be? He doesn't just patch us up. He makes us completely new. We are new in Christ. We are a new creation. We are God's masterpiece. You know, as we draw closer to Christ, we begin to see ourselves as the beautiful people that we are. Each one of us is beautiful. In God's eyes, it sounds a bit of a strange word to use for people, but, you know, that's what God sees you. That's how he sees you. You know, you're wonderful. You're significant. He sees you as significant. You know, so often we can disqualify ourselves 
because of the things that have been spoken over us, because of the people that, have, that we've been with who have treated us badly. But as we know, as we begin to learn what, how, what it means to be new in Christ, what it means to be new creations, we see ourselves as these treasured children of God that we are, that God has created us to be. If we take the Mona Lisa, a priceless portrait of Lisa Gerardini, not that I knew who she was before I looked this up, but that's who she is, painted by Leonardo da Vinci. Possibly the most visited, the most written about, the most sung about, the most parodied work of art in the world. Well, that's what Wikipedia says anyway, so it must be true. But can I suggest to you today that the Mona Lisa is priceless? Not because it's necessarily the best painting ever, but because of the person who painted it. You are the greatest thing in all creation, not because of anything you've done, but because of the one who created you. You're the greatest thing in all creation. You are treasured. You are significant. Not because of anything you've done, but because of the one who created you. The God of all creation. The mighty, living, powerful, awesome God. The God whose grace was enough to save you. This is not from yourself. It is the gift of God. And he gives it to you. His grace, his undeserved favor, is what's made you completely new. And the last question, last, um, one of the things that John Landerman said at the conference, he asked us this question, again, which I thought was really poignant, and I wanted to share it with you. What feeds your identity? And I wonder what, range of answers we would get? Would it be the fears? Would it be regrets? Would it be things that can easily disqualify you? Or is it the truth that you are made alive in Christ? That you are indeed seated with him? That he is right next to you? That you are made new in him? Does that feed your identity? Are you fed by the identity of what the world says about you or what Christ, what the living God says about you? You know, it doesn't matter if you succeed or fail, but it's the stepping out in faith that God sees and is pleased with. And my challenge to us all, really, this coming week, is there, is there a moment where you need to step out in faith, where you go beyond yourself and trust in your identity in Christ rather than what the other person might say to you or what situations might happen as a result of stepping out in faith. As our identity becomes completely secure in Christ, the more we give our hearts to him, the more we will walk in freedom and confidence that we are truly alive for his purposes. 
You know, the Apostle Paul is a real challenge to us, to me, to us when we read these letters. Because he was somebody that was imprisoned, he was shipwrecked, beaten, yet his failures and even his successes, for that matter, they didn't, they didn't feed into his identity. What feeds your identity? Is it the truth of the gospel? Is it the truth of your new self, who you are in Christ? Or is it something else? So the old has gone. If you're in Christ, the old has gone and the new has come. Know that you are made alive in Christ, that you are seated with him, that in Christ you can know freedom from pain, from suffering, from wrong beliefs, from resentment, from pride. You can give those to Jesus today. Today you could take a step of faith. Knowing your identity in Christ is so important and so precious to every one of us. Nobody is excluded from that. You know, when I was preparing, I was reminded of the parable where the treasure that was found in a field and that person that found the treasure sold everything that they had to buy this field, that they would have the treasure. Does the treasure of Jesus still capture your heart today? Today, as we draw close to him, we know this love afresh. We know the love of God afresh in our hearts, that we are alive in Christ. Hallelujah. Amen.